Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Monday, November 18th, though it's coming out so late in the day that it's practically Tuesday already, recording this at a time where I'm sure it's publishing after midnight. I wanted to do this earlier this morning in the early afternoon, but I wound up uh, covering a shift in a pinch to step in and uh, be on the News 1130 Sports Desk all day today, which is fine, happy to do that, but it just meant that my locked-on responsibilities got pushed back a little later than I might like. And you know what? That's perfectly fine because we're going to talk about things on this show uh, that are basically going to be the things that (laughs) get the fewest downloads of anything on this feed. It's a game day preview, basically, for a game that uh, is coming up probably later today by the time that you hear this, unless there's any other night owls like me out there tuning in after midnight. Uh, We're going to tee up today's game, or tomorrow's, I should say, against the Dallas Stars, the first in a difficult six-game road trip for the Canucks uh, that takes them through the rest of the month of November. Also going to continue to break down Saturday's action against the Colorado Avalanche because uh, I could have probably talked for 45 minutes about that game on Saturday night if I really wanted to. There was all sorts of stuff to get into from that night that I have not even had an opportunity to touch on in yesterday's show. So, Bear with me. Going to dive into a couple more topics there. And then tomorrow afternoon, you're going to hear from David Quadrelli. I'm joined for uh, an interview for the entirety of the program. And it will be uh, a gentleman who you're going to be hearing more of in the days and weeks and months and years to come, I would imagine. He is the first fellow in the Botchford Project, which if you're not familiar, um, obviously we lost Jason Botchford this year. Uh, tragic passing that has affected so many people, really the entire hockey community in this city and beyond, to be perfectly honest. But something good has come out of something so tragic, and that is the Botchford Project. If you're not familiar, and I would imagine many of you already are, uh, Jason was an enormous mentor to the next generation of talent in this city in the hockey media, whether that was, you know, people in radio, people in broadcasting, people who were blogging, people who wanted to become print journalists. He had time for everybody and really went out of his way to create an environment that didn't exist for him when he was coming up through this scene. Uh, You know, when he was a brand new talent uh, arriving in Vancouver back in, I think, 2004, 2005 or so. Um, he wanted to foster a community that didn't exist, a, a kind of tone that didn't exist for him. And uh, Jeff Patterson and the uh, Athletic Vancouver and the Canucks themselves, as well as uh, Catherine Botchford and the Botchford family, have all uh, kind of banded together to create this program, the Botchford Project, that you know will take in 10 aspiring hockey writers every season and give them the opportunity to sit on press row and write a story, cover a game, write a, a feature or, or a, you know whatever they want to do, an article that they don't have the chance to write because they don't have access to the locker room, they don't have access to the players, all those kinds of things. This will happen 10 times over the course of the year. They will all be published on uh, Canucks.com and the writers will all be paid for their time as well. Thanks to the Athletic Vancouver. This is a fantastic initiative. And David Quadrelli is the first person to be selected to do this. He got to cover Saturday night's game against the Colorado Avalanche. And what a wonderful thing that is that it turned out to be just such an enormously entertaining contest as if Botch himself was looking down and and willing the Canucks into coming back in that game in its late stages. But 
I'm going to get into that whole night and, and David's entire experience uh, on tomorrow's show. David joins me for the entire podcast. We got into it with a, a good 34, 35-minute conversation and look forward to that. In the meantime, let's circle back to Saturday night because there were some other things that went on there besides just the uh, first inaugural night of the Botchford Project. Uh, there was all sorts of stuff, of course, coming out of the very end of that game, the way the Canucks were able to come back and force overtime and take that game to the extra frame and get it, you know, an extra point out of that loss and kind of, you know, stay afloat in the overall NHL standings. That uh, scenario, what went on with the Edler goal that made it 4-3 with about three minutes to go in the third, has been an enormous talking point across all of hockey as this weekend went on and as we've gotten into the week here on Monday as well. People talking about why did the officials not blow the play dead? Why uh, were they not able to see what was unfolding and just blow the whistle and stop play and make sure that Matt Calvert was safe, make sure that Matt Calvert was going to be okay. Um, you know, I, I talked about this on the show on Sunday morning uh, in my post-game breakdown, and I could have talked so much longer about it, honestly, because uh, I, like I said the other day, I don't understand even the spirit of this rule, that the Avs have to touch the puck and take possession before the whistle will blow. Like, yes, I guess I fundamentally understand the spirit on some level, which is they don't want guys embellishing injuries and faking it to get a whistle and stop play. But if that is the case, you don't have to invent a new rule to get around that. You already have a penalty for embellishment. If you decide, if you determine that a player faked an injury to stop an offensive scoring chance, you have something in the rule book that you can already utilize to punish him for faking that. And look, first of all, I don't even think that's a problem. I don't think anyone is going to decide that, oh, I'll just collapse onto the ice and act like I'm having a seizure or whatever, and and my team won't get scored on, and that'll be just great for me. You know, players, I know this might be a surprise to some officials or people who've written the NHL rulebook, given the way it's had to be amended over the years for guys like Sean Avery, for example, but players have honor. Players have a spine. They do not want to be looked at. Look, it's one thing to be looked at as a diver, somebody, you know, who embellishes uh, an injury or uh, an infraction, rather, not an injury, who embellishes an infraction and whips their head back trying to, you know, draw a slashing call or a hooking call or, uh, you know, uh, any sort of uh, obstruction penalty like that. That is one thing. What we do not ever see in hockey is the level of theatrics that go into a soccer game where guys act like they've been shot because even the guys who do do the head whip to try and draw calls and try and get the attention of the officials, have pride on some level and realize what you're sacrificing when you stoop to the level of having to you know, just act like uh, you've, you've been killed to stop play. The, the first person who does that would get chewed out by his own teammates. I'm sure Sean Avery got chewed out by his own teammates in a number of different cities for all kinds of hijinks that he pulled trying to be a pest and get players off their game. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily worry about that, but as players talk about why play didn't stop, and not just players themselves, but officials, even the commissioner, Gary Bettman. Heck, let's listen to it right now. Here's what Gary Bettman had to say during today's media availability ahead of the Hockey Hall of Fame's 2019 induction ceremony. 
But before I deliver that Gary Bettman audio to your ears, I want to help you deliver some delicious food to your door with DoorDash. Yes, treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash offers. Now, where were we? Right. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman speaking in Toronto ahead of the Hockey Hall of Fame's 2019 induction ceremonies asked about the Matt Calvert incident and similar such incidents that have been piling up in the NHL of late. Heck, two you can point at uh, just to the Canucks alone over the last couple weeks here. There was obviously the Chris Tanev incident in Winnipeg uh, about a week and a half ago, but one that I had forgotten about because I didn't do a podcast for this game. About two and a half weeks ago during the uh, Canucks California road swing, of course Ashton Sautner went down hard and smacked his head on on the ice as well. Looked like he may have suffered a concussion in that game too. There was no whistle there either. Here's Gary Bettman commenting on situations like that. If a player is in, in real distress on the ice, the officials need to react for it. But those are tough situations to be in to evaluate in real time. Uh, but we're going to continue to focus on that. We'll probably discuss further whether or not the rule needs to be modified or we just need the officials to make sure they're more comfortable using common sense. Because what you don't want is, and this it, this wasn't the case in, with the Colorado situation, you don't want it being used for gamesmanship where a game is stopped needlessly. Having said that, any time a player's in distress, the officials know they need to stop the game. There it is, that slippery slope argument that if you blow the whistle once and give a guy a benefit of the doubt, uh, they might not be worthy of it at some point down the line. I would rather that the NHL err on the side of caution because it seemed pretty clear that Matt Calvert was in trouble. You take a shot like that to the head off the stick of Elias Pedersen of all players, I don't think there's any doubt that you're going to be in a bad way. We all know Petey can shoot the puck. Officials know that. The opposition knows that. When you see a guy take a puck to the head under any circumstances, he should be given the benefit of the doubt. You cannot fake. Okay, can you fake an injury? Yes, you can. And in several circumstances, you can fake an injury. What you cannot fake is taking a puck to the head. I don't think there's any circumstances where you're going to be able to do that and decide, I'm actually fine, but I'm going to act like this hurts me in a huge way. Any sort of contact to the head like that from the puck in particular coming off the stick of a guy who can really shoot, there is no faking in a situation like that. It's always going to be legit. And look, I don't often go back and check out the uh, the audio from the opposition, check out what was said in the uh, opposition locker room after a game, but Nathan McKinnon, he won my heart a little bit in the last episode when he said, you know, frig. Uh, <laughs> on his uh, his appearance with Scott Oak on Hockey Night in Canada. I really enjoyed that uh, little fake swear word that he dropped on national television. I wanted to hear more from him as well. He was asked about, uh, well, a couple of topics that came up on the last episode as we were unpacking that game because, you know, th- there were a bunch of people who were concerned that maybe there's a book out now on Thatcher Demko. Maybe people know that the way to beat him is blocker side. Now, I kind of wrote off those complaints by saying 
It's Nathan McKinnon. What the heck are you going to do no matter where he elects to shoot? He's one of the most lethal shooters in the game. But, well, listen to this. This is Nathan McKinnon after Saturday's action uh, coming up with a 5-4 win over the Canucks in Vancouver. Yeah, I, I saw Nas go low blocker uh, earlier in the game, and I, I figured that would be a good spot to try and shoot. Um, you know, they, they got a little confused in the neutral zone, so I, I tried to take advantage of it. What was the motivation like for you and the team in overtime, given how that third period ended with the injury and everything, to come back and finish it early? Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, that situation with Calvi. Um, it'd be nice uh, to get a whistle there for his own safety. It's not even about the goal. It's just, you know, we got a guy laying there, not moving, bleeding out the side of his head. It's tough. Um, but, yeah, obviously it's good to get the win. Just your stop when the guy is hit in the head in the game. I don't mean your guy, but any guy. If somebody hits their head, Canucks had a guy hit their head on the ice a couple weeks ago. Play continued. Yeah, I, I don't think it's right. Um, even Pedersen was was uh, you know looking at Calvi, and I, you could tell he's wondering if he's okay. You know, which is very classy by him. Um, it's not the Canucks' fault. Um, it's not the refs' fault. It's just a rule, a league rule. Uh, the refs, you know, they wanted to blow it. I could tell by the reaction they wanted to blow it down. Um, it's just silly that they, they can't. I mean, the guy's laying there, bleeding out the side of his head. Um, and it's Matt Calvert. He's such a tough guy. He's not looking for a whistle and faking it, so it's unfortunate. There you go. Great uh, question. Great point, in fact, from Ian McIntyre that this has happened a couple of times, that he's seen it happen to the Canucks multiple times. Why is the play not being blown dead Great question from McIntyre and a nice answer from Nathan McKinnon as well. Giving a little love to the classiness, uh, just the gentlemanly quality of Elias Pettersson and saying uh, there's no reason why this should not stop uh, the, the, the game because you, you got to worry about guys like that in situations like that. When a guy takes a hit to the head in this game, hockey is a dangerous sport. All contact sports are, but there's something about the speed of hockey that really lends itself to uh, really just awful injuries when things do go wrong for guys out on the ice. And, you know, when you've got situations like uh, like TJ Brody in, in Calgary, just, you know, having uh, some kind of medical episode in, in practice, you need to make sure that you are taking taking care of your players when things go wrong on the ice because all kinds of things can happen medically. You can have medical emergencies like Brody that, you know, might seem like faking in the moment, but nobody's faking having a seizure on the ice. I assure you that. Not that Matt Calvert was having a seizure, but, you know, uh, one of the things that jumps out at me, though, is Nathan McKinnon putting the, not not putting the fault on the officials, saying that they have no choice. They're just following the rule. The rule is wrong. They don't have a choice but to not blow the whistle. The thing is, that's wrong. They do have a choice. The rule leaves it open to uh, allow officials to use their better judgment, to make a judgment call on if a guy is in serious trouble and needs to be helped off the ice immediately. And they are not using their better judgment uh, often enough, it seems like right now. You know, you have uh, uh, the star player for the Colorado Avalanche right there in Nathan McKinnon saying that, the refs have their hands tied and we need to change the rules. Well, his general manager, Joe Sackick, joined the Vancouver Giants broadcast on Sportsnet 650 during the second intermission on Sunday afternoon. I was uh, producing that broadcast, so I got to hear Joe Sackick's first interview since the Calvert incident and uh, hear Burnaby Joe speak 
on that topic in conversation with uh, Dan O'Connor, the voice of the Giants, and uh, Dominic Stramati of Sportsnet 650 as well. His star player thinks the rule needs to be changed. What about Burnaby Joe? What does Sackick think? I don't think you need to change the rule because no. then the rule says if you see a major injury, uh, you can you can blow it down. I just think, uh, I mean, it's you get an elbow to head, any head injury, um, I think you blow it down right away. Thank you, Burnaby Joe, Joe Sackick, the general manager of the Colorado Avalanche. I just had a moment where I started to doubt that Joe actually was the GM because I was thinking, hang on, he might be in one of those situations where he's the president, but he's really actually the GM because he's making all the decisions. I looked it up. No, Joe Sackick is both the president and general manager of the team. He did have another guy in there uh, working under him for a little bit, uh, uh, Greg Sherman, but Sherman has now been demoted to assistant general manager, and uh, and Sackick is the official GM as well as the executive vice president of hockey operations. Uh, <laughs> uh, great to hear some common sense from Burnaby Joe. Wish we saw more common sense from the officiating crew. A couple other things to unpack from Saturday night that I teased at the end of Sunday's episode, of course, there was a report that uh, Judd Brackett had been in attendance at uh, the Bell Center for the game on Saturday between the Habs and the New Jersey Devils, which, uh, you know, uh, when you first hear that, first of all, it's very strange because Judd Brackett, predominantly uh, an amateur scout known for uh, monitoring the U.S. Division of Canucks scouting, whether that's in the USHL or the NCAA, it's very rare. Uh, in fact, almost unheard of for him to be scouting a pro game. But his name was on the list. Not sure entirely if he was actually the scout in attendance. However, he might have just uh, requested attendance for or you know accreditation, scouting accreditation for somebody on his staff. So that is entirely possible that that's how it went down and his name ended up on the list. Regardless, the larger story here is that the Canucks had scouts in attendance or at least a scout in attendance at Saturday's game between the Habs and the Devils. And you might ask yourself, well, which one of those two teams are the Canucks actually scouting? It probably is the Montreal Canadiens because if you read the tea leaves and and check out who's been uh, attending Vancouver games of late on the scouting side, a lot of Montreal scouts in attendance to watch Canucks hockey of late. And as I try to figure out exactly what's going on here, well, there's one thing that I really want to see from this team right now, and that's the idea of Sven Berchi and Adam Goddett and Josh Levo being left alone on that third line, being able to uh, play out a good string of games here, perhaps even after Brandon Sutter returns, because Adam Goddett is giving you a level of production right now that would indicate he needs to be in the NHL, that he needs a consistent role. Now, look, maybe you find another spot for Josh Levo, but I think Josh Levo is part of the solution here in Vancouver. I do not think he's part of the problem. I can't necessarily say the same thing on a night-in and night-out basis about Brandon Sutter. So even if the argument is to keep Sutter but shift him over to the wing and and have him you know, be somebody who can step in to take draws if you don't entirely trust Adam Gaudet to do that, that would be the only place that Sutter is beneficial is taking face-offs and then sliding over to the wing when it comes to actual playing responsibilities after the puck is dropped. I don't think, however, that uh, you know having somebody to be a defensive mask to try and hide Adam Goddett's deficiencies 
Well, it might not be entirely necessary as Gaudet is taking strides in his two-way game as well as his offensive game right now. But even if it was necessary, the guy that you would want to do that would be Josh Levo. Josh Levo is the guy who's doing so well defensively this season that he is boosting up Brandon Sutter's numbers. You know, Brandon Sutter has been able to shine and thrive offensively in a light role. I've gotten into this many, many times already over the course of the last couple weeks on the podcast here. But, you know, he is shining because Josh Levo is doing the heavy lifting for him. If you want to have a line uh, in the bottom six for this team that operates like that, that gets the easiest checking assignment imaginable, that goes up against other teams' fourth lines, and is a scoring line and is going to be counted on to create, you know, offensive points, you would want Sven Berchi and... Adam Gaudet to be the guys on that line. And Josh Levo can do that. He can help you make that line possible to do this. However, you have to open up some spaces. You have to create opportunity. And the Canucks have a log jam up front. So when I think about who might be on the block right now, who is the likely candidate to be traded if something were to go down between whether it's the Canucks and the Habs or the Canucks and any other team uh, that might be interested in in taking somebody off the Vancouver roster right now. The number one player that you have to think is being shopped in Vancouver at the moment is Jake Vertanen. And it's because, think about... Think about what was going on with Cody Hodson in this city before he was flipped to Buffalo in exchange for Zach Cassian. Think about the way Vancouver deployed Cody Hodson to maximize his value, to trick teams into thinking that he's more than he is. Now, I have talked many times over the course of this podcast over the last couple months that I do believe that Jake Vertanen has passed the eye test more often than not. He had a very difficult game against Dallas on Thursday night where he was on the ice for all four goals scored against the Canucks. But beyond that, he's hitting, he's, uh, you know, he's being an effective line mate in some ways for Bo Horvat. And just being on Bo Horvat's line means Jake is out there in very prominent spots and very prominent positions. I've made the case before that I think you could be able to teach Jake Vertanen how to be a penalty killer, that he's got tenacity, that he's got speed, speed that can apply and be effective on the PK. If I can be talked into that, and I'm not necessarily the biggest Jake Vertanen supporter, but he is somebody that I do want to see do well just because Everybody, I think, in Vancouver is taking a shine to him. He's like uh, he's like a golden retriever. Yeah, he's kind of dumb, but like he loves us, and we love him back, and he's our idiot. I think idiot visibility is important. It's important to me to see in the media that I consume people with my intelligence level reflected back at me. No, uh, I, I, I do. I do like Jake Vertanen for reasons that I can't put a finger on, but he's not necessarily a long-term fit for this roster. I don't get the idea that Travis Green actually likes Jake Vertanen all that much, even if he's saying all the right things. Look, what did Elaine Vigneault say about Cody Hodson before Hodson got flipped? All the right things, that he liked this player, that this is a, you know, a player that uh, had all, all kinds of uh, bright things in his future. You say those things because if you're the coach and you know the team is, is trying to boost a guy's value and you're putting in positions to succeed so that you can maximize the return for him in an upcoming trade, you're saying those things because if you did the opposite, if you said what you really think of him and, and how he's performed as a player, you are going to tank that player's value and not be able to trade him. 
him. If Travis Green really wants Jake Vertanen off of his roster right now, the number one thing he can do is tell the press how much he loves his game on a night-in and night-out basis. So uh, I do feel like as we have a glut of forwards up front and a logjam that needs to be resolved, as uh, of course earlier today we saw Antoine Roussel practice, take full contact, shed his no-contact jersey for the first time all season as he gets ready to return to this roster and he's going to be an effective, very strong, quality line mate for Bo Horvat. I am actually really looking forward for the Horvat line to consist of Tanner Pearson, Bo Horvat down the middle, and Antoine Roussel. I think those three guys had dynamite chemistry at the end of last season. And Roussel has just played strongly with uh, Bo, like every time they've been put together, if you want one of these, you know, bottom six contracts that you've gone out and dropped all sorts of money on over three or four years, uh, the one guy who's going to pan out in a top six role playing with Bo Horvat is not going to be Michael Furland. It's going to be Antoine Roussel. And if you need to clear space for him sooner rather than later, the guy to do it, the guy to flip out of here and get some value back in return is unfortunately going to be Jake Vertanen. I am only worried that uh, Sven Berchi is being showcased right now alongside Adam Gaudet in a similar fashion because I do think Berchi and Gaudet's chemistry and the playmaking ability of Sven Berchi in particular is a reason why Gaudet has been able to have the offensive success he has enjoyed over the last little bit here. It's just funny to me that uh, for all his playmaking and all his passing, uh, Berchi gets an assist on the goal that was scored on Saturday in the final second of the second period on what was just uh, you know putting the puck into the middle and it bounced off of a skate randomly and came straight to Gaudet. That wasn't a pass really at all. And that is the play that winds uh, up getting Berchi an assist in that game. Comedy. Really, just comedy. It makes sense that the Habs would be interested in Vertanen as well. You know, you've got uh, a guy playing big-time jerk puck hockey in Max Domi. They could look at Vertanen playing with uh, Bo Horvat the way he's playing right now and think to themselves that maybe... Just maybe Jake Vertanen and Max Domi could be something together, or maybe they slot him in lower down the lineup. It makes all kinds of sense to me. Um, what Vancouver would want back from Montreal, I have no idea. But hey, here's another little tidbit, something to stew on. I have no idea. <laughs> they would have to be utterly insane to do this. But something that Jason Botchford revealed to me while he was still with us is the fact that there actually was a deal for Louis Erickson about a year and a half ago now uh, at the trade deadline to send him to the Montreal Canadiens. The Habs had interest in acquiring Louis Erickson at one time. Do they have that same interest today? No, they'd probably have to be insane to do it, but... It's, <laughs> But maybe. It's like that kombucha girl meme. No, of course they wouldn't, but... Maybe. Claude Julien would probably be the one coach in the NHL who probably feels he can get something good out of Louis at this stage in his career. So, I mean, I guess you never know, but I thought I would throw that out there before we wrap up. One more thing, actually. Bo Horvat will get some help uh, on the dot in tomorrow's action against the Dallas Stars because Jay Beagle making his return to the lineup. It is expected anyways. Jay Beagle practiced with the team on Monday morning and uh, Travis Green says he expects him to play Tuesday against the Stars. Uh, Beagle, a welcome return, especially when Tyler Gravak is playing three shifts over the course of an entire hockey game like he did on Saturday night. Useless. Utterly useless. Jay Beagle said all the right things on Monday about the importance of having depth and trusting Tyler as an NHL player and knowing him from their days in Washington, so on, etc. 
You can say all you like about trusting him, Jay. Your head coach strongly disagrees. He did not use him, and it's good to have Jay Beagle back, which I didn't think is something I would be saying when this contract was signed a year and uh, several months ago. So Bo is going to have his load lightened somewhat by having Beagle back, having another player that the coach trusts to take any face-off at all, whether it's in the offensive zone or the defensive zone. And um, I heard some people uh, a little bit concerned after Saturday's action. In fact, I was chatting with some fans. Somebody slid into my DMs on Saturday night after the game. Hockey Hawkins on Twitter saying, is there any concern about Petey not taking face-offs? Like, I get Miller and Horvat are better at this, but Pedersen needs to get better at them because he's the one who should be starting overtime, not Bo, but they need to win that face-off so they are stuck putting Horvat out there. What I would say to that, because I think uh, Hawkins is not alone in having that concern, is that Bo Horvat wasn't particularly good at taking face-offs at one point in his career either. Horvat, you know, struggled on the draw when he entered the NHL. It is a common thing for guys in their first couple of years to not be particularly adept at face-offs against NHL guys. And you know what? If Manny Malhotra serves one function on this coaching staff, if he does literally nothing else, it is still worth employing him to be able to pass down the knowledge that he possesses in terms of how to win face-offs. Because as I mentioned uh, on Sunday morning, how do you think Bo Horvat learned to be so good on draws that at one point he was clicking at 88% through 25 faceoffs taken on Saturday night? It's because Manny Malhotra is his coach. So, yeah, you should worry right now a little bit, I guess, about Pedersen and Gaudet maybe not having the trust of the team to take those faceoffs, but you have to put your trust in those players and their coach that they are eventually going to be good at it. Because think about how Pedersen earned the alien nickname. It was like watching an AI adapt on a night-to-night basis. He'd just take in new information, and you could see his brain functioning to learn from it and be better next time out. Think about the way Pedersen improved his shot mechanics from his draft year into his rookie season. He just obsesses on these things. What we need to see is Elias Pedersen get obsessed with wanting to better that part of his game face-offs. And when that happens, EP will master it. That's just his personality to be the best at every little detail. I have absolutely no concerns about Pedersen in the face-off dot going forward as a number one center in this league. And, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be as big of a problem, at least, with Jay Beagle back in the lineup. That's our show for the day, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed it. And again, uh, this was Monday's show coming out late at night on Monday night. Another one coming your way Tuesday afternoon. David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and the first fellow in the Botchford Project. Uh, He's joining me tomorrow afternoon ahead of the game against the Dallas Stars. You can hear that one. It's an evergreen episode. It will not be dated once the game is over. So uh, you're going to enjoy that a whole heck of a lot, I would imagine. Look forward to it. And enjoy the game tomorrow. I do want to ask you once again to rate and review the program wherever you happen to get it. I've seen a a bit of a tail off with that. And I know that there are hundreds of you who listen to this show who have not reviewed it for me. So please, please do that. I would love it if you would uh, just take the time to give me a quick rating and review uh, no matter where you get uh, the podcast from. I always appreciate that. And it gives me a nice little boost, a little serotonin uh, jolt to read the nice things that you have to say in your reviews as 
well. So uh, if you like the show, that's how you can help me back because uh, I'm bringing you a show more often than I'm not, you know, lately. So <laughs> most days there is a podcast. I'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> uh, until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.